Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez at NPR West in Culver City this morning. We start with a Central Valley tragedy. A family of four that was kidnapped from their business in Merced this week has been found dead. Merced County Sheriff Vern Warnke says the victims, an eight-month-old girl, her parents, and an uncle, were discovered last night by a farm worker in an orchard near where they were kidnapped. Warnke, speaking at a news conference, says it's all a horrible tragedy. There's just, there's no word right now to, to describe the anger I feel and the senselessness of this incident. I said it earlier, there's a special place in hell for this guy, and I mean it. Sheriff Warnke would not go into many specifics about how and when investigators think the family was killed. Horribly, horribly senseless as to what happened here. We don't know motivation yet, but we are uh, making a determinant factor on that. The family was kidnapped at gunpoint from their business in Merced on Monday. Surveillance video shows the suspect, 48-year-old Jesus Salgado, leading the family, whose hands were zip-tied behind their backs, into a pickup truck before he drove off. Relatives of Salgado contacted authorities, telling them that he had admitted that he was involved in the kidnapping. Police say Salgado tried to take his own life when officers arrived at his home, but he has been talking to investigators since. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes on our watch season two, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. During the first months of World War II, President Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066. It authorized the U.S. government to relocate and incarcerate more than 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry. Those who were uprooted and imprisoned were treated as one large faceless enemy, no matter their ties to this country. Now, more than seven decades later, a group led by a USC professor has taken on the challenge of creating a list of every single person forced into camps and jails. In Los Angeles, KPCC's Josie Huang has the story. The number of people who lived through incarceration is fast dwindling. My parents are gone. My sisters are gone. Kyoko Oda is 77, a retired teacher. She was the baby of the family, born in Tule Lake, an incarceration camp in Northern California. 
one day I'll be gone too. Feeling urgency, Oda joined a group pushing to build a memorial with the names of every person incarcerated. It's remembering the past and fighting for human rights in the future because this was a great wrong. But the group had a problem. No master list of names existed. After Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, Japanese Americans and nationals alike were scattered across many different incarceration sites, 75 to be exact, from Hawaii to Arkansas. When records were recovered, they were riddled with errors. Thousands of people's names were misspelled. Clearly, people never dealt with Japanese names before, and as they're typing, couldn't quite figure out what to type. Duncan Duke and Williams directs USC's Ito Center for Japanese Religions and Culture. Three years ago, he decided there needed to be a complete list of people who were incarcerated. Merging everybody into this kind of enemy group is something we're trying to repair. But also, what we want is people acknowledging this history as a way of giving people back their individuality. The painstaking work required checking camp rosters against birth certificates, death certificates, census records. But Williams built a team that was enthusiastic and motivated. I knew I'd be good at it because I'm OCD, and so I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rock this. For Shoichi Shingu, the work couldn't be more different from his job in digital marketing. He volunteered for the project after discovering that an exhibit at the Presidio in San Francisco on Japanese American incarceration had left out his father, who was born at the Hilo River Camp in Arizona. I wanted to honor his name, get him in there, and make sure that he's part of this. You know, he's born there, and he's kind of been forgotten, and kind of breaks my heart. Shingo was asked to check the names of thousands incarcerated at another camp, Poston in Arizona. It took hundreds of hours over eight months. It was amazing. I mean, I can't even tell you, like, I get chills right now because just seeing the names made it real. The team was checking the names and rechecking them up until a few weeks ago. Williams of USC says they are finally done, and the tally of names is... It's about 125,284. We believe we are 99.5%, 99.9%, right? Williams says they're trying to get to 100%. The list will be available online, and family of survivors can point out any corrections or omissions. The names have also been printed in a 1,000-page book. Embedded in the cover is ceramic, made from soil collected at each of the 75 incarceration sites. Williams sought help from survivors' relatives like Regina Boone. He was like, would you be interested in going to pick up some soil? <laughs> Literally. I was like, yeah, why not? Boone is a photojournalist in Virginia. That's where her Japanese grandfather had settled and built a family with her Black grandmother. The day Pearl Harbor was bombed, he was arrested by police, then detained at Fort Howard in Maryland. Boone went there to retrieve the soil. I wasn't expecting it to be emotional, but it was. Her grandfather, Suruchu Miyazaki, would be moved two more times before dying of tuberculosis the year after the war. Boone sees the Book of Names as a way to highlight the lesser-known story of a Japanese immigrant in the South and that of his Black family. This is Japanese history. This is Black history. I mean, it's all of our history. The Book of Names will be displayed at the Japanese American National Museum in L.A. for the coming year. Kyoko Oda has already gone to see it. You know, this is very meaningful to me that I'm living long enough to see something of this beauty and this impact. The book is a monument to every person named on its pages. Oda hopes to next see a memorial in the more traditional sense, one with names engraved on walls of granite for generations to read and remember. For The California Report, I'm Josie Huang in Los Angeles. 
And that's the California Report for Thursday, October 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez in Culver City. Thanks so much for listening and have a great morning and day. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, recognizing young social entrepreneurs through the Wesley Prize for Young Innovators of California. Information about how to apply is available at wesley.org. Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. Personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. odc.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.